It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. From San Diego in our studios here. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the venerable John Riley. <laughs> we welcome you to our Thursday weekly podcast. John, we got a ton of topics on the table. We got baseball. We got breaking stories in the NFL. We got basketball, controversy in basketball. We got Tiger Woods in golf, and we're going to corner kick you a few stories out of the soccer world. Boy, there's a lot going on. Yeah, this is the the high speed uh, sports wires run on overdrive. <laughs> it's just it's just like six ninety man back in the nineties when I. Listen to you. We cover the whole world of sports. Now, before we get started, because we do have a bunch of topics on the table, just a reminder, uh, we present an awful lot of data on our podcast, our regular Thursday podcast, the bonus podcast we do during the course of the week. I, of course, write on my website every night of the week. It's there the next morning. If you check it, you'll really like it. See the address up top, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. We also want you to share everything we do. Tell all your friends, regardless of what social platform you're on about what we're doing with our Lee Hacksaw Hamilton Hacksaw's Headlines podcast. And by the way, we would appreciate a thumbs up and John would appreciate a five-star rating if you can on Apple. And John... When we get done, we also added something new called the Fans Forum. Just tell the people how they can be involved. Yeah. So uh, first of all, you want to subscribe. You can get you know, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, you know, Apple, Google, Spotify, or on all the platforms there. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube. And, you know, Hacksaw is on all the social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, I mean, Twitter. So like, follow, share, and subscribe on all of those platforms. And yeah, we always have the Fans Forum. We'll get you involved in the live stream here. But at the same time, we get our social media guys involved in this as well with some of their responses. So we always have a lot of good comments from the fans in the fans forum segment. And on the out of town scoreboard, we have in excess of 1700 subscribers to our podcast. Yeah. So would you like to be 1700? One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> Tell your friends, subscribe so you get the alerts. John, let's start. We got a lot of topics on the table. Okay. I mean, we got to start with the San Diego Padres. And I'm not sure. Is this team starting to come around now, Hacksaw? Here's an interesting stat before we talk about that specific topic. The Padres, in the middle of this series, Minnesota, they're playing 15 road games out of the next 21. Oh, this is really going to define are they a first place team or are they going to be chasing people? Mm-hmm. They get done with this twin series, they go to Dodger Stadium. Three more games there. And we know how the last time they saw Dodger Blue worked out. Just, I don't quite understand the methodology of scheduling. Why you'd put anybody on the road for 15 of 21, much like I don't understand why you'd give somebody the advantage of playing 15 of 21 at home in any chunk of the schedule. Mm -hmm. As it relates to the Padres, we saw a flash of Juan Soto. I mean, that was an impressive Tuesday game. Mm -hmm. Four for four, on base five times. He looked really different at home plate. Bat to ball, the swing, the power. Now, I don't know if that's a one-game aberration or whether they've discovered a flaw in his stance in the box. Because at least in the four-for-four night, and he's he's hit a lot of balls on the nose in the last week or so. But in that night in Minnesota, he was on base five times. 
He wasn't moving in the batter's box. He wasn't dunking. He wasn't moving his head. He wasn't moving his arms. He was stationary waiting for the pitch. I don't know if that's a one-time aberration or whether they solved it. Manny Machado, three-run bomb in the Tuesday game, starting to hit a little bit better. I can't get away from the theory, though. He hit 152 for the better part of a month. Just absolutely Mm. stunning. I look closely at him, John. He doesn't look right to me in the batter's box in terms of explosiveness of swings. He doesn't look right running the bases in terms of power. Now, he's, he's making a ton of great defensive plays, but that's just move left, move right, make a throw. I don't know that he's healthy, and that's a big issue to me. Tatis is Tatis. He's he's hitting the ball on the nose. He's hitting home runs. He looks like he's kind of really back into form pretty quickly. And Xander Bogarts has positioned himself maybe to be an all-star candidate at shortstop. He's had a really good start. The rest of the batting order is ragtag. You never know what you're going to get. Bob Melvin continues to move people around the batting order to see if he can find hot guys who feel comfortable in certain slots. We'll just wait and see. So what did you see in Soto? Your theory on ha- health or not with Manny. And is El Nino El Nino? Well, I, it, they're coming around. And I'm starting to feel optimistic. As far as Soto goes, um, you know, the exit velocity off the bat is up there. So, I mean, he's hitting it hard. So I think to your point, you know, he's he's turning it around. I mean, maybe you should be the new Merv Retman of the Padres, get you in the dugout coaching these guys. But yeah, Soto looks different. I think he's kind of figuring it out. Now, Machado is a different case. Machado can fool you visually, you know, because he's so kind of cool. He glides. He glides. And so when, if you really look at his swing, it's not a violent swing. It's always a smooth swing. And he just hits it just right and the ball takes off. And he's always susceptible to those sliders down and away and that'll fool him. But they they left some pitches up. He's starting to hammer those. We look at another batter like Tatis where he's a more aggressive swinger and you can tell the difference. And then even last year when Machado was on the bases, he runs, but he's gliding when he runs, you know, and he's got the arms going. He doesn't seem like he's moving fast, but he can sneaky steal some bases. So I just think we have to understand Machado and appreciate him for what he is. Is he hurt? Well, yeah, he had a little bit of a back kink like a few weeks ago, but I don't know what his status is now. We'll see as May marches to June. I mean, if they're still scuffling June 1st to be a 500 team, I'm not going to like that. And by the way, nice headline. <laughs> they have to win with this roster. Their AAA roster at El Paso is 15 and 19. Their AAA roster at El Paso is made up of 16 street unemployed free agents. The, oh, wow. late, the latest is Jose Iglesias, former shortstop, Tigers, Angels, Reds. Pretty good hitter over the course of his career. Decent shortstop defensively, but on the other side of age 32. That's the makeup of the roster. And they have 17 street free agent pitchers on the El Paso roster. The only prospects at El Paso right now is the left-handed pitcher, Ryan Weathers, that they're stretching out to bring back. And whenever he gets healthy, if he can stay healthy going forward, because he's had six different arm injuries, Adrian Morion. That's it. They have street free agents in El Paso. None of them I would view as established, I can help you, major league players. So this is an end result of the general manager trading away. Mm -hmm. You go look at the box scores of major league teams. There are ex-Padres everywhere, and a chunk of them 
are having good seasons. Now, it's not to say they don't have good guys at Lake Elsinore because they got three or four good ones, and not to say they might not have a good one or two uh, in in the Midwest League, but there's not, nothing in the farm system at this point in time. It, it, to me, it's really stunning. So what they got at El Paso, going to stay at El Paso all season because they can't play up here. Well, I think for the most part, those are what they call depth pieces, right? Uh, there are the, the, the 4A guys, the street-free agents. So, you know, most teams, their their hot prospects are in the lower minors. That doesn't surprise me too much. I just think, you know, they've got, you know, in case there's injuries with the big league club, they can bring some guys up. But Weathers has been really good in El Paso. And they're saying that, you know, with this stretch of 15 out of 21 on the road, they might go back to the six-man rotation and bring him back up. I mean, he's definitely very deserving. I mean, I was shocked when they sent him down in the first place. Well, they wanted to stretch him out. Uh, And again... I was shocked how did he how well he did when he first got here this season because I thought this was going to be a reclamation project uh, for Ryan Weathers and it looks like all the things they've taught him have really really worked well. So that's the summary on Padre baseball: fifteen roadies in twenty-one games. That's just that is just hard to fathom and being on the road is really tough. On we go. Okay. Next topic on the table. All right. got to talk about this NBA series with the Lakers and Warriors. I mean, this is unbelievable. Well, they're getting ready. Can the Lakers run these guys out? And it's important. If the Lakers don't want this series to stretch out, John, because obviously Anthony Davis, LeBron James are piling up enormous amount of minutes on the floor. If they can end this series real quick, don't let this sucker go to seven. Mm-hmm. That means they get almost a week off, which is huge for those old dogs at the top of the roster. No doubt. Uh, I think the other fascinating thing to me is that the Lakers have won 7 of 10 in the playoff run. This coming right on the heels of them forging their way, forcing their way, dragging their way into the play-in series. Uh, Lakers are getting contributions from different guys on different nights. So I guess that's good that we can have a guy come off the bench and score 15 points in one quarter, uh, as as the Lakers got uh, from Lonnie Walker. And I think it's good that Jared Vanderbilt gives them really valuable minutes in certain matchup situations that he can kind of dominate defensively. And it's it's obviously good that they're going to get some points off the bench from people like Dennis Schroeder and Rui Hachimura. If this continues the way it's continued— and they can get rest between the series because they're winning these series early. I think the Lakers are an NBA Finals team. Now, granted, they're going to have to they're going to have to play the next enemy, and that might be Denver or it might be Phoenix, and those won't be easy series. But if they're rested while those other guys are grinding through seven game mm-hmm. beat your brains out series, <laughs> that that's a wild card thing in favor. Of the Lakers, so I mean, it's, to me, it's really impressive how it's quote finally come together post trade deadline, and Darvin Ham just keeps pushing buttons, and right guy pops up, and here's Lonnie Walker hitting four shots in a row off the bench and scoring fifteen in one quarter, difference maker, just like all you know the Hachimuras of the world, difference maker. So. This is kind of cool. Yeah. Lonnie who? <laughs> you know, when he came out, he scored. He, and this is what makes a team great, when you have contributions from different guys every night. Because you can't depend on the superstars to have 30-point games all the time. It's going to—these role players need to have their moments. So, yeah, I think the Lakers are very well set up to go deep in this playoffs, even if they just barely snuck in. Because when you've got LeBron and AD— 
I mean, anything can happen. Well, those guys playing 42 to 45 minutes a night, that's a lot of wear and tear on guys with 100,000 miles on them. <laughs> Quick comment on, on Golden State. You know, they've had a phenomenal run under Steve Kerr, the Splash Brothers, etc. But you look at them now collectively and you critique them. And here's a team, for example, that had a 10, 12-point lead. And they're coasting in the third quarter. And they're coming down on launching shots from the next area code with 18 seconds left on the shot clock rather than running plays, taking time off the clock. And they miss the threes, and they miss the threes. The ball's going the other way, and the Lakers are putting it in the hole. And all of a sudden, 12 is down to two, and then the Lakers just absolutely go crazy. So Golden State's methodology that used to work with the Splash Brothers doesn't seem to be working right now because everybody's missing threes. They're undersized in the paint. They're having a really tough time with Anthony Davis. And they they do move the ball, and they do want to force tempo. But, man, they turn it over an awful lot. So I, I just don't know that this is the same Golden State team that we said, wow, look at how great this this group has become because it's just not working now. I, I'm kind of – and Kerr is one of the bright, smart guys in the league. And I just sit there and say to myself, can't you control this? You know, can't can't you make it fit better so you're not burning all these leads and burning up your great star players? Yeah, it, it makes you wonder because it's like those, those role players. Because, you, you know, you roll the clock back five years ago. I mean, Durant was on this team. And they've had other really great players that have complimented the Splash Brothers and Draymond. But you know their their game is that that tempo you know that the that extra pass um, to get guys involved. But they are getting a little long in the tooth, and I think you know Draymond Green kind of wears on the refs, wears on the fans, and he's one of those players. You know, is is, is he one of those players where you're happy he's on your team, but you hate him if he's on the other team? Yeah, but he's also a little bit of high maintenance. I think you know yeah. you need to draw the line. Don't step over the line, Draymond, because it's going to have a <laughs> negative impact on who we are and what we're trying to do. Yeah, but still, you know, Curry is just so special to watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the way he plays the game. I mean, he can hit the impossible shot. You know, he can drive the lane and, and flip it over his head. He had that one behind the back pass. It was incredible. So that guy is brilliant. But I do think they fall in love with the three. You get Jordan Poole in there. He thinks he's Curry version 2.0. He starts launching it. So sometimes I think, you know, they should rethink things. They don't have the bulk to go up against the Lakers. But if they have that fast pass move that ball around, they can find the man in the open spot. Okay, let's talk about the other NBA series here out west. This has really been good basketball. This has been angry basketball. This has been intense basketball. This has been wild three-point shooting basketball. That is Devin Booker. That is Nikola Jokic. Uh, We're talking Denver, Phoenix. Sucker should go seven. It's exciting. You never know from one night to the next. Booker is another version of Steph Curry. His ability to make plays, make everybody around him better, his ability to take it to the hoop and convert, his ability to stand outside and drill it. What a tremendous player. He is averaging, John, 36 a game in the playoffs. Wow. And Kevin Durant is averaging 34 per game in postseason. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this, Durant has really struggled to get his 34 points per game because they have defended him, they've banged him, they've doubled him a lot. He still makes a lot of shots. He does make a whole pile of passes. But those two guys are just uh, just dynamic. But they don't have enough. I mean, now they've lost Chris Paul again. And off the bench, I, I don't think Phoenix is that good. Jokic, to me, is such a unique specimen. You look at him and say, he doesn't jump. 
He's rather big and slow, but the guy is averaging 34 points per game, 13 rebounds per game, and a pile of assists per game. And he just piles a lot of minutes on that body. I mean, he's a really good player. Now, granted, they do have some explosiveness with with Michael Porter and Jamal Murray. Their bench is a little bit thin. But Jokic is such a unique guy. He just tied the NBA record to Will Chamberlain upset. The most double doubles in a career really? in the playoffs. Wow. He's got he's got ten going forward. So uh just he's a tremendous, tremendous player. But you look at him and you say, nah, it looks like he's big and slow. Yeah. Yeah. Well he puts up a lot of big points and gets a lot of rebounds and makes a lot of big passes. Well I think a lot of these European players that come over, they play a different brand of ball. <laughs> They're not just the post up player, you know, want to do the sky hook. They they are distributors. They can play a point forward when necessary. And I think Jokic is one of those kind of guys. But I don't know, I just love seeing the Suns and the Nuggets. I mean for the longest time it's been Lakers Warriors. So in the West, I like to see some of these new teams rise up. And boy, they're banging on each other. Oh, they don't like each other. An <laughs> awful lot of yapping going on there in that playoff series. Let's go from that. Let's go to college basketball. Yeah, yeah some stories here. You know, uh, we lost a good one. We lost a good one, and I don't like what the other guy did. Uh, we're talking about Bob Huggins, West Virginia. Or we're talking about the passing of Denny Crum at Louisville. Bob Huggins has just been fined $1 million in salary by West Virginia. Oh, I'm surprised he did not get fired. And it saddens me because I have known Bob Huggins since back in the day when he played at West Virginia a long time ago before he became a head coach. And the great things he did at the University of Cincinnati to resurrect the program that was once famous for Oscar Robertson and, and Jerry Lucas and those guys. And then what, what he's obviously done uh, for the Mountaineers. But for him, and I heard it, I, I heard what he said on radio and I shook my head and said, how could you say that? How could you even think that? How could that be in your heart, Bob? And I've known Bob since the 1970s. I mean, he used two homophobic slurs in one sentence and then he defamed Catholics. So my, my, my statement is if you're in Morgantown, West Virginia, and you're the president of WVU, which is the most important thing in the state aside from the coal mines, you need to send Bob Huggins to get counseling. Bob Huggins needs to have some form of testing for substance issues. Nobody in his right mind would should ever use homophobic F-words and denounce the Catholic faith. He was making reference to Xavier University's fans. Mm. It was really deplorable. Why would you do that? Please tell me that's not in your heart because it sure came out of your mouth. I was really disturbed, and I like Bob, and I've known him a long time. Denny Crum, legendary coach. I don't think he ever got the national due that he probably deserves. You know, if if I mention great college basketball coaches to you, you're probably going to yell, Bobby Knight. Coach K. John Wooden. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, Denny Crum, uh, UCLA guy, went to Louisville, two rings, been in the Final Four six times, 24 years out of his 32 years in the NCAA tournament. Made Louisville a national power. He's just passed away. Uh, phenomenal guy, tremendously respected, low profile, maybe a little bit like Coach K at Duke mm-hmm. in terms of persona, personality. Uh, really neat gentleman. And he did a great job, and he retired early, and he stayed there, and he's done phenomenal charitable things across the state of Kentucky. But uh, Denny Crum has passed away. His career record 
Uh, let me get this right. Uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. Career record six seventy five and two ninety five. That's at the wow. That's at the other basketball school. That's not the <laughs> University of Kentucky at Louisville. Think about that. So he's winning three out of four. Six seventy five two ninety five. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a guy. Yeah. He never. I don't think he ever, ever got the true scope of national recognition that it maybe deserved. But nice man. So your reaction on what happened in West Virginia, what happened in Louisville? Well, the West Virginia story is a real head scratcher because I, I had heard I, I haven't listened to the actual quote, but I saw an article that was written that said that Huggins sort of fell into the trap of being like he was talking with the boys, you know, and he, he let the filter go down and he started, you know, dropping these bombs. But it's just weird. Like, First of all, you got to know your your audience and your place and what you're saying. But it's also weird that some people are wired that way where they have these two personas that, you know, when the, the microphone's not on, they're saying a lot of garbage. And when the microphone's on, then they clean it up, um, which makes you wonder, to your point, counseling, you know, what does he really believe and what does he think? And especially in the year 2023, I mean, come on, man. Uh, so that is really disappointing. And, um, you know, that, West Virginia is a very conservative community that they're not going to want to put up with anti-religious slurs either. Um, so I, like you said, I'm surprised he kept his job and people have been fired for, for much less. On we go. All right. Before we move on, because we're going to start to talk about some NFL stories here, Thursday podcast, we have a Monday bonus podcast. We invite you to subscribe so you'll get the alerts because we do a lot of unique things the other days of the week as part of our podcast. And if you like sports... If you like what we did on Sports Talk Radio, you're going to like my website. You need to check it out, leehacksawhamilton.com. You get the best 15 minutes in sports. It's all written. takes you five minutes to read it. You get Hacksaw's headlines. You get my one man's opinion column. And you get to take part in Hacksaw's mini poll. And we invite you to tell your friends, share all this stuff with everybody that's part of your team. And don't forget... We'd appreciate a thumbs up, and John would appreciate you giving us a five-star rating That's right. uh, <laughs> to, to uh, just push along the success our podcast is having. Yeah. I mean, we, all the support we can get is great. I mean, we love it. We do the subscriber base is building. But, you know, this this Monday bonus podcast is pretty much every Monday. And I love it. I, I just love what we're doing here. And it's nice to see a lot of the fans, you know, really enjoying it. OK, let's move on. National Football League, because there's some unique things happening. Yeah. I mean, I've been seeing this in the news. They've been there's there's going to be a new day of football in, the, in November. Well, National Football League announcing its schedule Thursday night tonight. Uh, NFL is going to play five games in Europe. There's going to be three games in London. Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be two games in Germany. Uh, they are negotiating to maybe put a game in France, possibly in Paris. I would assume that there's going to be a game down road a couple of years from now in Spain. Uh, did not go back to Mexico City this year, but they've had great success when the Cowboys go into Azteca Stadium. So they, they just continue uh, to spread. So the schedule comes out on Thursday. Uh, NFL schedule will be not only not only Sundays, not only regular Thursday night football, not only the Heritage Monday night game. But obviously now, there's going to be a Black Friday game. The day after Thanksgiving, the NFL will play a game on Friday. Um, I'll be fascinated to see the marquee games, how many times you and I have to watch Aaron Rodgers in the New York Jets. Uh, <laughs> we'll get a heavy dose. <laughs> I am disappointed because I've gotten leakage of some of the games in Europe. The Chargers have not been invited to play. 
any of the games, the five games in Europe, which is kind of surprising because the league always likes to put hot young quarterbacks abroad. Mm-hmm. I thought that maybe the Chargers would have gone in that direction, but that, that did not happen. One other thing that's really interesting, as we grew up and as we watched NFL football, Fox, the Fox NFL package was mm-hmm. always NFC. Yeah. CBS was always AFC. AFC. Not anymore. Now it's going to be thrown into a pot. And who knows where the Charger games will be. Interesting. You add into that, Amazon now has mm-hmm. the Thursday game streaming. So that's a different subscription. And, of course, we've got Sunday Night Football on NBC, and we've got Monday Night Football on ESPN. But the league, they haven't rationalized why, but I'm sure there was pressure. Because really the marquee teams, the neon light quarterbacks are all in the AFC. Mm-hmm. So I bet Fox was pushing that, hey, we need more AFC games on our network because yeah. of the amount of money we're paying. So look for that as the schedule comes out Thursday night, that it won't be Fox, NFC, CBS, ABC, Lock, Stock, and Barrel games and be crisscrossing mm-hmm. all the time. So I, I remember back in the day with Brent Musburger, you know, and you're looking live at Soldier Field, you know, and and CBS was the NFC then yep. and NBC had the AFC. And then I remember Fox sort of happened all at once, at least from my perspective. I, you probably saw it coming, but I was just that kind of rocked my world. But it does make sense that they're going to try to mix it up because it, it is kind of silly that they each have a conference, you know, it's, it doesn't work that way with any other sport, does it? No. You know, cause TNT and TBS, they rotate and AS, ABC and ESPN for NBA games. So that makes sense. I, I like the Friday game. I mean, well, didn't there used to always be like a college game on that black Friday? Oh yeah. There, there still will be. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be all, usually the SEC and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other, other thing to look forward to is the NFL has always at the end of the season, Flip games into Saturdays after the college regular season is over. Right. And I think that's that's probably coming. Yeah. You know, if you want to take time out now, go tell your wife that probably a year from now will be NFL football <laughs> every day of the week. And you control the TV at 5 p.m. every yeah. day of the week going forward. So schedules come out. Uh, uh, it'll be fascinating I to see. I got a question, though. So w- if they're putting five games overseas. Now, that means some NFL teams are giving up a home game. Yes, Jacksonville is giving up two. Jaguars are going to play twice in London. They were the ones that helped the league kind of plant the flag. Mm-hmm. That was when Jacksonville was really bad, and they weren't drawn very well. And so the owner uh, indicated, hey— We'll volunteer. We'll be the home team in, for the games in London. So they're going to play two of the three games based in London. I think Miami's going to play the other one. Uh, and then the, the game, Kansas City's playing a game in Germany. And I think Buffalo is playing the other game in Germany. So they do they do give up a home game, but they make a lot of money as a byproduct. Anyhow. I was going to say, they, they must have negotiated it so they'll still make an equivalent amount of revenue that they would have made if they had kept the home game. Um, that makes sense to me. I mean, when they play overseas, I mean, what's the attendance like? Oh, they sell out. 72,000. They're going to play in the brand new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which I think is 90,000. Oh, nice. Uh, they played in Manchester United Stadium. So, yeah, it is. Now, the intangible, though, is Buffalo Bills are giving up a home game. Hmm. Uh, please tell me that that's not an impact on the Bills. Home games, Buffalo, November, December. Home, huge home field advantage. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and now, and now yeah. Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville, a, a young team in the AFC on the rise. 
and you're giving away two of your home games off your schedule to go play in London, if you're going to be the team to beat in the AFC South going forward, wouldn't you want those home games mm-hmm. in Jacksonville at the renovated Gator Bowl? Uh, Fascinating to see where, where they go from there. Okay, next topic on the table. Okay, this we got some updates on the Matt Ariza situation. What are you hearing, Axel? Yeah, we have talked a great deal about this over the last couple of weeks, and he is now, through his lawyers, I think have pushed the issue to the front of the table. The prosecutors on Monday announced that Matt Ariza was not involved in, quote, sexual assault Mm -hmm. because as they detailed and they met with the 17-year-old woman who alleged the gang rapes, they informed her of all the data that they had collected, different videos, wide variety of interviews. People came forward that were at that party and said Matt Ariza was with that teenager in the yard. They did have consensual sex. Matt Ariza was not in the house. Matt Ariza left the party at 12.30 a.m. The sexual assaults allegedly took place at 1.30 in the morning. Mm. So those are the details of the, the final aspect of the investigation, that Ariza was there with the woman. There may have been sexual relations consensually. He left the facility. He was not there when whatever happened late happened. Matt Ariza, this week, on Wednesday, sent uh, through his lawyers a letter thanking the prosecutors for going public with the specific details as it relates to him Mm. and says, we can now deal with the facts, right? not somebody's assumptions. Mm -hmm. And the facts are, I was not there when whatever happened, happened. Mm -hmm. And I think this is all a direct push for the word to get out publicly that he's not guilty of anything except maybe bad judgment, mm-hmm. and he deserves a chance to be in the NFL. So now it now it raises the question on the Niagara frontier, the fact that he is not charged, the fact prosecutors have already indicated he was not part of the incident. This has opened the door for him to go back to the Buffalo Bills. Interesting storyline. He's unsigned. Maybe he won't be unsigned very much longer. Well, it seems like justice is taking its course here. And if he was innocent, you know, he was he was adamant about how innocent he was from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, people were skeptical. But it's good that the facts are out on the table. But it kind of goes to show you. It's like nothing good happens after midnight, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, so anyways, um, I'm happy to see that he is in the clear. Hopefully he gets another shot in the NFL. Yeah, I hope he gets another kick at the can to kick the football for somebody in the NFL. And it might well be the Buffalo Bills because if you read between the lines, when their general manager, at the point they released him, the only statement he made is let's let Matt Ariza deal with his situation. Hmm. Okay. And then we'll deal with him after that. Deal with the situation. Information data is out there. His name has now been separated from the rest of the case. Will the bills follow through and deal with him now that his situation has been resolved? Stay tuned for that. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want the punt god on their team? Come on, he's going to get a job in the NFL. On we go. Let's talk about another topic, another location in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, up in Minnesota, passing a two legends here. Yeah, uh, Bud Grant, of course, passed away a couple of months ago at age 95. Joe Cap, his first great quarterback in the old days of the National Football League, has just passed away at age 85. Joe Cap is a really unique individual. He played collegiately at Cal. 
uh, did not have a chance to go to the NFL. He went to Canada. He won a great cup in the Canadian Football League. Very different. You talk about a hybrid quarterback, run, scramble, throw. Not the norm. Uh, Joe Cap played really well in Canada. Came across the border right after Bud Grant, who was in Canada and won great cups, mm. came across the border. They linked up in Minnesota together. Joe Cap was the quarterback. When the Minnesota Vikings went to one of the first Super Bowls ever, they got beat up by Kansas City, but they went. Uh, Bud Grant, of course, wound up going to the Super Bowl four different times over an 18-year career with the Vikings, although he was 0-4 over the course of his career. But these two guys were linked forever in terms of popularity because they, they kind of planted the purple flag in the, in the Twin Cities. So, and then when Joe Cap's career was over, he played Vikings and he went to New England, finished up, came back. He went back to college, got his degrees, became the head coach at Cal Golden Bears for a couple of years, mm-hmm. kind of a very unique personality uh, but pretty good football player and obviously quite a quite quite a name that people recognize so he just passed on right after Bud Grant had passed on well I remember in the 70s when I first started following the NFL one of the Raiders were in Super Bowl 10 against the Vikings and that was Fran Tarkenton so when did Joe Cap finish his career it must have been in the early 70s yes yeah, he he was in Minnesota for, uh, I don't know if he was there four or five years, then Tarkenton showed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Joe went on and, and played a couple of years with the old Boston Patriots, New England Patriots. Uh, but uh, eclectic guy. I interviewed him once. Just he's a, What's the favorite phrase? Out there? <laughs> okay. He was out there. Okay. Uh, neat guy. Uh, really, really nice career. And, you know, just held in great esteem in the Twin Cities because he and Bud were the first ones that made them great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it was the Purple People Eaters. Sure. And, and uh, who was what was that other uh, running back? Was it Foreman? Was Chuck his name? Foreman. Chuck Foreman. Miami, Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, I mean, so they had, and then what was the other guy? Uh, uh, Ahmad Rashad played mm-hmm. there. Uh, so they had some great players on that team. But yeah, Cap, I, I remember hearing his name when he was the head coach at Cal. You know, so I don't know, maybe I'm not quite dating myself. He's a little bit before my time. But he was out there. Okay. Holy cow, was he out there. <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about something different. Let's talk about hockey. Oh, I know. The the draft lottery was just a couple of days ago. And, man, I mean, the Ducks have got to be just really bummed out. I hurt my hand. I pounded the table <laughs> when the final pick came out because the Ducks were one of 11 teams who were in the lottery to get the number one pick in the draft. And it came down to the Blackhawks and the Anaheim Ducks. And Bill Daly, the vice president of the NHL, flips the card over and says the number one pick goes to... Chicago Blackhawks. Damn. But, you know, losing season, lose the lottery. They get the second pick in the draft. The draft is really deep. They're going to get a really good player. Uh, Adam Fantilli, University of Michigan, could be the second pick in the draft. Hmm. Freshman at the U of M scored 30 goals, 65 points. In 31 games at the U of M as an 18-year-old freshman, and he's coming out. Wow. So he'll be eligible. He'll be there. The other hot player is a huge center left winger by the name of Leo Carlson from Sweden. Hmm. He's ready to play in the NHL, ready-made. He's played in the world championships already at age 18. So the Ducks are going to get a really good goal scorer, whether it's the center or whether it's the left winger. Carlson remains to be seen. Uh, by the way, as as miserable as last winter was, and I'm not talking about the weather and the snow or the <laughs> rain, or as miserable it was for hockey fans, the reality is the Ducks are in the middle of a rebuild. 
They played four of their top young guys before they were really ready. They put them on the ice in Anaheim. Granted, they finished in last place, but those kids got a world of learning experience. Pat Verbeek, the general manager, has 11 draft picks in his pocket now hmm. because he stockpiled three trades. He's got over $30 million in cap space. So they can really accelerate the rebuild really quickly at the end of June when the NHL draft is held and the first week of July when NHL free agency begins. And I spent part of Wednesday at a press conference. The Gulls named their new coach, Matt McIlvain, All right. a Pat Verbeek hire. I'll tell you what, standing there and talking to Matt McIlvain, who spent, he won four straight championships in Germany, coaching hmm. Salzburg. He's only 39 years of age. It was like I sat there and it was like I was talking to Sean McVay of the Rams or Brandon Staley of the Chargers. Mm. You talk about intellect. Nice. You talk about vibrancy. And young. And philosophy mm -hmm. with a world of experience at such a young age. So now, the, now Pat Verbeek's got to get him some players, that's for certain, because <laughs> they didn't have enough players in a miserable 21 season here in San Diego. But the fans were at the press conference and it was, it was just kind of neat. So I think what happened last year in Anaheim, what – and a byproduct of what happened in here in San Diego was a byproduct of what happened with the Ducks. I think it's a one-off. I think that they'll rally this thing. Uh, the Ducks have a ton of young defensemen in the pipeline. Most all of them are going to be in San Diego with the goals. I had an NHL scout tell me they think there are five NHL defensemen in the goals Ducks farm system, mm -hmm. and most of them are going to be wearing that goals crest this oh, nice. coming year. So. I think last year was a one-off. Oh, man, it was like a year-long toothache. It mm -hmm. just would not go away. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the Ducks only won 23 games. The Ducks only – the Gulls only won 20. It's the worst year the, the Gulls have ever had. So we'll see if they can rally this. But Matt McIlvain, boy, what a really unique guy to talk about. So uh, this will be fun going forward and – you will sit next to me along the plexiglass <laughs> on beer Friday during yeah. home games. We'll banging Pichanga, the glass. And, Pichanga yeah. Arena. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you look at the, the the NHL teams here, the Ducks have so many needs, right? I mean, they don't, they don't need just one superstar like Connor Bedard. So having all those draft picks, you know, they just need a lot of quality players to fill in that depth, right? Yeah, but remember, at age 18 and 19, they're not going to be ready to play in the NHL. Mm -hmm. But you draft now, and maybe you find a gem. You know, may, maybe Carlson from Sweden is ready to play at the NHL level immediately, like this group of young guys that they force-fed this year. They survived. They played. They couldn't do it all by themselves. They didn't have a lot of support. But you're drafting not only for now, but you're drafting for the second year and the third year of these kids' career. You place them in San Diego, and they learn about what it's like to be a pro, and they learn how to win and the culture and all the things that a pro player has to do. And then they grow them, and then you send them to Anaheim. So I, I, I think there's good things coming. That's that's tough, tough for fans to say, geez, look at what we had to go through this past year. <laughs> I believe some good things are coming there for both the Ducks and obviously a byproduct of that would be for the San Diego Gulls. And I will tell you, San Diego is a really, really good hockey city. On we go. Let's talk soccer. Okay. I mean, I saw these headlines with Lionel and, and Messi and with Neymar. I mean, what's the latest here on the, on, on the pitch? You're not going to like this because I'm just aghast that this is happening. Lionel Messi is signing a contract for $386 million a year. A year. A, a year. A year? To go play in Saudi Arabia. Oh, no. Oh, yes. 
You're signing a contract for that mega amount of money. Be the richest contractor professional athlete has ever made. It's unbelievable. To play for El Hilal, mm-hmm. which is one of the elite teams in Saudi Arabia. And Neymar, who is also a teammate of his at Paris Saint-Germain, has announced he's leaving in, in June. He'll opt out of the final year of his deal. He wants to go play in Saudi Arabia. Wow. And so we, we've got this happening, and Cristiano Ronaldo is already there playing mm. for another team, and he took a big payday, $230 million a year to go to Saudi. Oh, my God. So just like the conversation we had over here about LIV golf yeah, and guaranteed familiar. money, now it's happening in soccer. And I'll bring this word up. You may not like it. Other people may not like it. These guys are, quote, taking blood money from that country to mm-hmm. go play. So shocking for uh, Paris Saint-Germain is is, is going to fall on the floor as a franchise when you lose those two superstars. And these yeah. guys are going for great paydays. Well, we were talking about, you know, Xander Bogart signing for $280 million for 11 years. Mm-hmm. This is 286 for one year. It's oil money. That's insane. Blood money. It is. And that's that's the difference here, I think, because, you know, the money is getting involved with NIL and college sports. But here you're getting money from the, the, the regime in Saudi Arabia that assassinates journalists. This is where it's crossing that line. Normally, I can't blame a person for getting a pay raise, a really big pay raise. But in this case, it, you have to question the morality of what's happening. Well, I mean, I don't think that anybody has forgiven as much as I like Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson and those guys has forgiven them for what they did. And as much as soccer fan may love Messi and Neymar, where are they going and how are they getting this money and what does the money represent? And that to me is kind of, that's a big turnoff. But that's, that's the latest story there in soccer. And the other factor in the equation still to be delivered is another part of the story, John. If these guys leave, what's to prevent the Saudis from making runs at elite players in the English Premier League, the best league in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could happen. We shall see. On we go. We got uh, two other controversial stories to talk about. Okay. I love seeing Tiger Woods in the news again. I mean, it's <laughs> got to be more to the soap opera, right? Oh, my goodness. Off off the course, his life just continues to be a big issue. Uh, Tiger Woods' lawyer, the lawyers representing his, quote, last girlfriend in court, she has filed a $30 million sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual assault lawsuit against Tiger Woods, charging he intimidated her into signing non-disclosure agreements while they continued their relationship and affair, got tired of the relationship, threw her out. Lawyer met her at the airport, told her she was not welcome to come back to Jupiter, Florida, to the mansion they live in, <laughs> took all her money. Possessions just really ugly. She has now filed a $30 million lawsuit. The judge has all the data. Uh, the question is whether it actually becomes a lawsuit and goes to trial or whether it goes to arbitration because the non disclosure agreement said if there's any difference of opinion about this NDA, it has to be settled in arbitration. Erica uh, Herman, right? Herman's yeah. response has been there's a law that if sexual abuse or sexual harassment is linked to the non-disclosure. The non-disclosure is no longer legal, mm. and I can take this thing to court. Mm. And she's asking for $30 million. So that's the latest with Tiger. 
uh, recovering from another surgery, career in doubt, credibility very much in question. That's one thing. The other story is the NASCAR story, and we're waiting for a decision. Ross Chastain is one of the really vibrant, aggressive drivers on the NASCAR circuit. He was involved, he's been involved with five different wrecks during the first half of the NASCAR schedule, knocking himself out of races, knocking leaders out of races, and his act has really worn thin because he's always running on the edge and he's bumping and grinding and putting guys in the wall. This past week, Delaware 500, he got in a fight with another driver in the pits after the race, after the two had swapped paint and wrecked each other. Jeez. And other drivers have now gone public and spoken up that enough is enough. Because at speeds of 190 and 200, you yeah. don't want guys running other guys off the track. You don't want guys getting airborne, barrel rolling, flipping in the fences. We've not had a fatality. We've had a couple of real bad wrecks this year because of banging. They want Chastain suspended. Other drivers have now gone to NASCAR and said, this guy is a danger on the track because of his style, because of his attitude, because of his aggressiveness. And we don't think you should allow that because of the inherent dangers Mm -hmm. that he has triggered with all the accidents. So waiting for to see if there's going to be a suspension. But you know what made NASCAR great back in the 1950s, way back when it was good old boy, (laughs) you know, the Alabama gang and all that. They'd fight in the pits all the time, and guys would go after guys with Mm -hmm. wrenches. And I mean, the greatest thing that showed up on TV was one of the earliest NASCAR races involving the legendary K.L. Yarborough who got in a fight in the pits with a guy who had just run him off the track at the finish line. And they're throwing punches, and the crew chiefs and the pit crew guys are fighting. And then all of a sudden, everybody said, oh, watch that on TV. That's pretty cool. Therefore, NASCAR and television kind of took off. But when you're dealing with Chastain and the inherent danger, the kind of speeds they're turning, that's really scary stuff. Okay, your thoughts on Tiger, your thoughts on the badass in NASCAR. Well, Chastain reminds me of Draymond Green, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's just always in a ruckus, getting in fights. And, you know, and you even in a lot of the car movies, you know, the car racing movies they have, they always have to have the fight in the pits and because the fans love all that emotion. But, yeah, when you're going 200 miles an hour, man, I mean, just a flick of a wrist on that steering wheel and it's like game over. You know, it's a, it's a, it's people are going to die. So uh, that's something. But I think race car drivers, they're just wired differently. They're not like you and me, you know. Uh, but as far as Tiger goes, it's just like, geez, it's just like another chapter in the soap opera. I, you know, I'd love to be talking about golf, like actually on the course. We're talking about all this other stuff off the, off the field. But and it just makes me wonder, too, you know. Is he just a target for this because he has the money and, and they go after him, these women? Or legitimately, is a lot of this nonsense happening behind the scenes? And that's why there is a non-disclosure agreement to keep it all quiet. Uh, so it's just this guy. It's just one thing. It's another. I mean, it started with his wife and then went on to 12 different mistresses. And it's just gone on and on and on. And it just doesn't matter what relationship he's been in. There's another relationship and a bunch of them end up really, really badly. Uh, I don't know that he'll ever be a golf star again, but he just continues off the course to have issues, issues with women, and a bunch of them wind up in court and in lawsuits. Okay, time for Fans Forum. As part of our Thursday show, questions, answers, opinions. Here we go, John. What do you got here that you'd like to post from we, some of we your have best some good friends? comments here from our social media followers here. And this is from John Davis talking about the uh, the Chargers draft. And he said... 
we already had enough receivers with Palmer and we resigned Jalen Guyton. How is Herbert going to, or resign Jalen Guyton? How is Herbert going to throw to all these guys? Well, it's a good question, but I think the history of the NFL, John Davis, is that you need, you need depth, you need injuries, uh, receivers, because you're going to have injuries. <laughs> right. The other factor in the equation, and John and I had talked about in this past, because of the salary cap issues that the Chargers have, they push money to the back of contracts. Next year, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams' contract will each have a cap figure of 30 million. 30 million. You can't afford to have two receivers earning that kind of money. Somebody's going to leave here at the end of this coming season, whether it'll be Keenan Allen, will be bought out or released, or Mike Williams. So it'll make way for this new young stud wide receiver that they really like, Quentin Johnston. The other guys have had injury problems. Now, I think Palmer took a huge jump, but you just can't have three guys on your roster. We don't know if Guyton will get re- regain all the speed he had coming off knee surgery. You, you'd probably need to be six deep at wide receiver. I wish they would have taken a defensive tackle, but but after the big tackle from Georgia went off the board to the Eagles, there was really no other stud tackle that you would take at number 21. And historically, the Chargers have never been a team that's traded back that said, well, we could take the second-ranked defensive tackle and maybe we'll take him at 28 or something. Never never really historically have traded back. Tom Telesco has always been conservative. I like the pick. Uh, I think they had a good draft. Um, they still have some holes. There's still free agents out there that they could sign to probably lower price contracts. So when we did our draft recap a week ago, on on our uh, podcast, I gave them a letter grade of A. I thought mm-hmm. they were one of the six or seven teams that had A's just because I think Johnston serves a really different role in the offense. He's a, f- a future guy against one of the guys who's going to leave. We still don't know whether the Austin Eckler thing is ever going to get solved or whether <laughs> he's going to leave as a free agent or whether they get a trade offer uh, as they get closer to the start of the season because somebody got hurt and somebody else needs a running back. So so still a lot of moving parts with the Chargers. End of the day, I, I like the draft pick. Yeah, I mean, it was a good pick, I think. And I, I hear you on the on the uh, the figures, the financial figures for those wide receivers. But I'm still freaking out about Lionel Messi and $286 million for one year. I mean, that's more than the salary cap for an entire NFL team. And that's what I digress. But uh, the Chargers still blew that game against Jacksonville. Oh. And the you know the the bottom fell out. They couldn't stop the run. So you got all these receivers, but what are they going to end up winning games like, you know, 49 to 42? Is this going to be a shootout every every week? Well, Justin Herbert's got the ability to probably do that, and mm-hmm. maybe they wind up having to do that. I mean, keep in mind, what's their mailing address? AFC West. Mm. Who's in the AFC West? That guy, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah. So you just may have to average 50 points a game. <laughs> it won't be 50, but there will be shootouts. I thought it was a good trick. Okay, next comment. All right, next comment. This is from MH on the YouTube channel. Hey, big win for Japanese baseball. <laughs> Trevor Bauer got barreled by the Yomuri Giants. Well, so they, they, they lost a game. He lost a game. Uh, you know, he's pitching once a week there. He had dominated his first two starts. He had had three minor league starts in which he was really dominant. He's going to get banged around, and now we'll see how he responds after getting banged around. You know, one of the intangibles about pitching in Japan is just the work schedule is really different. You work really hard between starts, but you only start one time per week in Japan. The ball is different. The height of the mound is different. 
There are all types of adjustments. And I'm not talking about eating Japanese food and sushi. <laughs> I'm talking about the actual logistics of baseball. I still think if he's totally healthy, statistically, Trevor Bauer is going to dominate these guys more often than not. So yeah, he got banged in one. We'll see how he responds to getting banged. Well, this just goes to show you the quality of the play in the Japanese league. So, I mean, Trevor Bauer is legit as a pitcher. And if the Giants can knock him around, you know, in the big dome there in Tokyo, then, you know, that's a that's a special league. And maybe we're going to see more of that talent come how, to America. How good is the Japanese league? Just witness what we saw. We came through with Team Japan World Baseball Classic. There's oh, a lot yeah. of good ball players over there. Yeah, and more and more are coming stateside almost on an annual basis now as as free agents. So we have got, got international players in the NBA, and we're going to see a lot of this in baseball. And this is what makes sports so fantastic. On we go. Another fans forum question. Okay, this is from PR Superfly on the Twitter channel, and he says, "Hey, probably need a straight shooter like you, Hacksaw. Even though this is a more comfortable lifestyle now, tell us." the truth do radio personalities or stations get memos from the proteins to not talk bad about the ball club sure seems like it is in the san diego market well that's a legitimate question um i never read memos i didn't go to staff meetings no don't bother me with that junk i have a talk show to do now i never once in my entire career as a voice of the chargers uh ever was told what to say or what not to say um, I got reaction from sometimes things I said, uh, but nobody was going to tell me how to do my talk show. I do get the sense that within the last five years, that maybe the whole atmosphere of the rights holder, the flagship station, has been forced to change. As long my whole philosophy as a talk show host, John, as long as I'm fair to you, while telling everybody on that 50,000-watt blowtorch signal I was on that that was a bad trade. <laughs> mm -hmm. As long as I'm fair to you, that's part of the game. Right. But people do respond. People do get upset. You know, I never, in, in the 13 years as voice of the Chargers, I never once had a problem with the Chargers. Mm -hmm. Not with ownership, not with coaches, rarely ever with players. You know, I, I don't think I was a homer. But I always gave them the benefit of the doubt because I knew what was going on inside and who was hurt and who couldn't play well and who was overmatched and who had to maybe be out of position. But never once was I told. Now, I had problems after they left our station and I got treated and our broadcast team got treated really badly by the Spanos family. And mm. then they, they started to push back and to which I said, I don't work for you. You never paid me a dime. I'm going to say what I'm going to say on this talk show. Yeah. And then there was hell to pay. Then there were a lot of problems. But that being said, I think there are probably pressure points. You know, the Padre radio station right now talks about our Padres. Mm. That's shaded towards homerism to me. <laughs> now, you don't have to be negative. You don't have to bury Juan Soto. But you can critique Juan Soto because I think that comes part and parcel with the job. And the same thing with A.J. Preller or the same thing with past ownership. Now, maybe there's a lot of pressure points now that weren't there five years ago and when I was doing talk show radio. Um, you know, the worst ownership in Padre Baseball was Tom Werner and the group of 15, mm -hmm. whose first words after they took over the franchise were fire sale. Well, they deserve to be roasted and criticized and ripped. But see, when you've got competing radio stations 
and one of them's a rights holder, they may handle the hometown team a little bit differently than the other one that no holds barred. And that that just comes with the equation. And I always I always took the philosophy in dealing with the Chargers. We're paying you a lot of money to put these games on the air. We do a really good job in our game day broadcasts and all of our NFL coverage. Mm-hmm. We're paying for the right to say what we believe. And, and with rare occasion were there problems at 690 with Chargers. Now, it came from other talk show hosts who were making rather bold statements. Everybody <laughs> does their own talk show differently. So right. that's a really valid question. Uh, that sure sounds like a really good topic in a letter to the editor of the Union Tribune about what is the responsibility. I took the philosophy. I'm not bashing the team that's on my station just for the sake of bashing them as a talk show host because my sales guys have to go out and they have to sell all the advertising packages so we can pay the rights fees. So to sit there and just screech about how horrid they are. And they were they had a bunch of 4 and 12 seasons and 6 and 10 seasons yeah. when I was voice of the Chargers. And then they got good and we were all excited. And I saw you drinking beer the night they came <laughs> home from the AFC Championship yeah. game in Pittsburgh. And what a night. What a night for sure in the rain. So, But it, that that's a tremendous question. I think the pressure points are really different now than they were before. I don't think we should beat up the hometown team, but we shouldn't ignore the stories that have to have comment. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think as a journalist, you have to be objective. You have to be fair. And when something negative needs to be said, it needs to be said. And so I think that's great. Now, now let's talk a little bit about Don and Mud, who I love. Mm-hmm. They do a great job with the broadcast team for the, for the Padres. But you can tell that they're careful about what they say. And they're obviously being paid by the Padres, right? They're on the Padres payroll. So they're not, if they have something negative to say, they kind of sandwich it between two positives. They're not as critical because I think a lot of it is, is that they see these players every day. They're on the airplane with them when they travel and they don't want to say something negative and then have the player angry at them, you know, the next night. Well, the biggest show, I'll give you a prime example. When I was the voice of the Chargers, Rodney Harrison was coming up and was making himself a Pro Bowl safety. Really good football player. Tough guy. But he was over the line a whole bunch of times. Yeah. And he launched and nailed a Bengals receiver in the face mask, gave the guy a concussion. It was a brutal hit. And he got a 15-yard penalty. And he was going to get fined for the hit. And Bobby Ross criticized him that Monday in, in the weekly press conference. And I made a comment about Rodney. And he got really upset at me. I had made a comment. Please, somebody tell Rodney Harrison who Daryl Stingley is. Mm. Daryl Stingley broke his neck. Mm-hmm. He got hit on a really bad Jack Tatum violent hit. And then Rodney stopped me on the tarmac on a, on a road trip and said, why did you say that? I said, because it was a dangerous move by you. And your coach criticized you. The league fined you. And... Do you know who Daryl Stingley is? I don't want to see that happen to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we we stayed friends. I just explained it. The one thing as a talk show host <laughs> is if you're going to say something in critical fashion, you better have the brass to make sure you go in that clubhouse or in that locker room to answer questions if that player wants to come to you and say, why would you say that about me? Mm-hmm. I was longtime friends, Chase Headley, Padres third baseman. Oh, yeah. I, he had the 30 home run season, a mystical career year, phenomenal. Really nice person. One of our talk show hosts made the comment, where did all this come from? Maybe they should drug test Chase Headley. He was so upset. And he came to me. Mm-hmm. And he was beating me up. And I said, time out. <laughs> you deal with this talk show host. I thought it was a terrible cheap shot. 
but it was the way talk show radio was becoming. Everybody would say anything that came off the top of their empty skull, but would not have the brass to go in the clubhouse and know they'd cross paths with Rodney Harrison or Chase Headley, etc. So there comes a responsibility being a host about being dynamic and funny and laughing and firing shots. Some responsibility you carry with you in your wallet if you're going to do that. You have to stand, be a man to stand up to answer the question when you get confronted. Because if you said that about me, John, I'm going to confront you off the air and you're mm-hmm. going to have to explain why you would say something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. That's well, my philosophy. Well, you know, as a as a, a journalist, you're asking tough questions of them. Mm-hmm. So they deserve every right to ask tough questions of you. And, you know, if you have integrity in, in what you do in your career, then you're going to respond and you're going to give them a, an objective, reasonable answer to why you made the comments you did. Um, Ronnie Harrison, yeah, he, he played pretty aggressive. He's another Draymond Green type. He when was he was on the on, edge. Yeah, but he's had a really nice career with NBC now. Yes, very much so. That's a, that's a real valid question. Thanks for joining us. Got one more you want to throw up here before we wrap up fans for We want to talk Raiders here? We've got another Raider comment here. Do from, we have to? Go ahead. <laughs> from John Hopkins, and he says, hey, to be honest, it was going on before Gruden returned there. Can I say Jamarcus Russell? And they're, they'd not have had that much to cheer about, except for for Gruden um, since the 1990s. Of course, I thought Gruden ran Tony Dungy's Buccaneers team into the ground after inheriting it. They fell apart quickly after that Super Bowl win. The Raiders have a lot of legacy and heritage, but sometimes I think history stifles them. Well, history and heritage is still in the back closet with a dented trophy with dust on it. More recently, no. I made a comment on a talk show in Las Vegas. I got really upset at me. Uh, They had me on talking about the move of the Raiders, and it was exciting. And the new stadium and the city is exploding with enthusiasm. And, you know, it's obviously become a mecca of, of pro sports and building stadiums and arenas and franchises going in. I made the comment, do you people in Las Vegas know what you're getting? You know, and and the host said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Do you know that team has a composite record of ninety wins and one hundred eighty-two losses in the last decade in Oakland? That's what you're getting." Yeah, and I said, "I'm sorry, with apologies in advance." You may call them the silver and black, but until they start winning, I'll continue to call them the silver and bleak. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you know, they, they did sign up for getting Raider Nation and, and all the, you know, their fan base, which is a, an eclectic bunch, to put it politely. Um, but, um, you know, Vegas has to be excited to have an NFL team, of course. But, yeah, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with that Raider brand. Yeah. Raider Nation out of jail on bail. Call now. <laughs> hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our regular Thursday podcast. We're here most every Monday for bonus podcast. Next week, next Thursday, we're going to do something different. We're going to go into the best of archives. <laughs> we're going to do a history of sports talk radio in San Diego next Thursday. John's putting the package together. We'll talk about how I got here, who we are, why we do what we do, and who you can blame if you don't like it. But you followed Sports Talk Radio for a long time. We created it. We invented it. We're very proud of where it was. It's very different now. But the history of Sports Talk Radio next Thursday, a week from today, on our regular Thursday podcast. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. Yeah, looking forward to all the great games. And, yeah, the history of sports talk is going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for being with us. You have yourself a great sports weekend, too. Thanks for joining us again. Subscribe. Tell everybody about it. Hacksaw's Headlines. 
Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.